Hey friends, this is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, SheCast episode 85. And I'm on with a new friend, Scott Strode, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So tell everyone who you are briefly in your own words. Yeah, I'm, I'm Scott Strode. I'm the executive director and founder of a nonprofit called Phoenix Multisport. And um, we renamed this past year as The Phoenix. And people can check it out at thephoenix.org. And uh, it's a nonprofit that for free gets people in recovery from substance use disorder into sports and activities like yoga, climbing, biking, hiking, surfing, camping, uh, mountain biking, uh, road cycling, kind of whatever activities are right for the community that we're in. And the idea behind those activities is that you're coming and actually building a new support group in recovery. So, you know, the, the hike or the bike ride might be you know, kind of the first hook to get you in the door, but really what you're finding there are new friendships and people that accept you for who you are, no matter where you're coming from or no matter what your life was like in your addiction. That's awesome. I, I had um, Ariel Britt on, so you guys are my bookends. So we started with the Phoenix and we're ending with the Phoenix, which I think is pretty rad. And so she was the first episode on the 10 episode arc of Stories of Sobriety and You're the Last, uh, which is incredibly huge. I love what you all are doing. Um, I'll have to connect you with Chef Bill Haley if you don't know him already. He was on this series. Um, so we'll do that offline. But welcome. Really glad that you were able to squeeze me into your schedule. You're a busy person. Um, so I brought you on also because it was so interesting. So before we get in further, I want to know if the Phoenix can use money. Yes, of course. You know, as a nonprofit, you know, I love leading off with that. <laughs> but, you know, so, so Phoenix has been around for about 11 years and we've served over 24,000 people with free wow. recovery, recovery support. And, um, and the way we make that free is by people being able to donate to our program to support it. And the beauty of Phoenix is for essentially what it costs to put a couple people in prison per year, you can fund a chapter of Phoenix in your community, and that chapter can serve thousands of people with free recovery support. And, um, you know, I'm sure at the gym that I'm at in California tonight, there's going to be at least a half dozen people that aren't in prison because they're coming to yoga tonight. That's and, right. Um, so the donors make all that possible. Cool. And so it'll be easy to find when they go to the phoenix.org to navigate to where they can donate. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to get started with the money because friends, none of this is free. Um, they need support. So I said with Ariel's interview, I was going to donate and I'm going to donate with this one as well. So join me in that. Um, so Scott, tell us a little bit about what it was like, uh, what happened and what it's like now for you. For me personally? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, so for me, I'm a, I experienced early childhood trauma. You know, I grew up in an alcoholic uh, with alcoholism in our family. And I also grew up with a father with uh, mental illness. 
And so for, for, you know, a little kid, that's a really hard environment to kind of find healthy attachment and sort of learn how to be in the world and in a nurturing way. And um, so what it really led to was a lot of self-esteem wounds. And um, I also have a learning disability. So I think those things kind of compounding on top of each other, you know, kind of, I had these self-worth wounds that I was trying to numb out by drinking and drugging. And so I started at a really young age. I, I tried cocaine at 15 and I was, uh, you know, in a mental health ward for depression when I was 15 and I started drinking when I was 11. And, you know, from there it only got worse. And I would say for, for the next X amount of years, you know, until I was 24 living in Boston, um, I really had sort of become somebody I never thought I would be, you know, drugs and alcohol were my go-to and, and how I coped with difficult things. And it really shut me off emotionally. And, and, um, so as, as like most people in recovery, I had a lot of dark nights that kind of culminated. And, you know, for me, I just remember the last night I used, um, you know, thinking about that this was how my life would ultimately end was through cocaine addiction and the life that I was living then. And I thought, you know, somebody would have to tell my mom that's how she lost her son. And that really just broke my heart. And, and that was the last night I used. And I had fortunately found my way to a boxing gym and the guys in that boxing gym became my fellowship and my support network. And getting in the ring for the first time started to change that view of myself and my self-esteem and started to teach me that, that I could do whatever I put my mind to. And that would later lead me to, to crossing the finish lines at triathlons and climbing mountains. And each time that happened, um, I stood a little taller and was a little prouder who I was in recovery. And it enabled me to, to quit drinking and drugging because I had a place to turn when I had tough days and that was a trail run or a mountain bike ride. And I started to have a group of people around me that believed in me, uh, sure. even though, though, even though I didn't believe in myself yet. Totally. So you said that one night you were using and that thought came that that would be the rest of your life. Like it would, your life would end that way. What, if anything, I mean, plenty of guests have talked about it and the research I've done myself, was it a moment of clarity or was there something that was said or something you read? What kind of shifted you so significantly from having been using drugs and alcohol to cope for so many years? Like, how was that the end? You know, I think... <clears throat> Like, I'm not a believer in that people struggling with addiction have to hit bottom. Sure. You know, I'm a believer that we have sort of moments of perspective on our life. Sure. And, and I think that when I went, so when I was 15, my mom was sort of desperate to get me on the right track. And she found this program for, for young people to go on ships. And like, you know, you go out to sea and it was this experiential program and what I learned there was, were, were some of the lessons that I carried into my recovery. 
about what I can do, what I'm capable of. Um, you know, we all, I think when we have self-esteem wounds, we have this voice in our head that sort of is this negative self-talk that, that really makes it hard to be empowered to change something in your life when you see yourself in this negative way. But I think that early experiential stuff in, in, on the ocean started to give me hope that I could be something different. And then that continued to slip away as I continued to use drugs and alcohol. And, and I think that, you know, after enough dark nights, just having that clarity, you know, the confluence of events, thinking of my mom, who I, I was very close to, she just recently passed away. Um, thinking of her, you know, finding out that I overdosed on a bathroom floor in an apartment in Boston, it just broke my heart. And it just happened to be a morning when the sun came up over the Charles River in Boston. It was just this really beautiful morning. And I remember it really clearly of just, it was this pivotal moment in my life. I knew I could continue on the path I was on or I could take this new path, which was so unknown and full of fear, but was the path of recovery. And, and fortunately it just stuck that morning. That's awesome. I'm sorry for your loss. That's gotta oh, be thanks. tough. Thank you. Thank you. She, she loved Phoenix very much and all yeah. the, I always joke that she had more friends with neck tattoos than any other women. Yeah. <laughs> I love <laughs> so. it. You know, that's the thing about um, when we're open to be used, I believe, by the divine um, as vessels, we open ourselves up to so much community that maybe wouldn't have been possible had we not been a little bit more open-minded, open right? So yeah, and, and the beauty is that she had an opportunity to see you for you know, being a sober man and a productive person in society again. What she knew was within you all along, but it just needed to get cultivated, Thank right? Thank you. So it sounds like life is way better than it was. Um, you've mentioned some triathlons and then opening up Phoenix. What are some other things um, in terms of um, you know, personal, but professional, relational, um, things that are different. Um, and then if you could also identify some of the feelings you had prior to getting into recovery and some of the feelings you're having now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I think that recovery is an interesting journey because, you know, I, I, I think when you start to put together some time, maybe you have a year or two sober, you start to feel like recovery is more like a destination, like you've arrived, right? Like now I have five years, now I have six years. And the, the risk I think there is that we sort of, when we think we've arrived somewhere, that we sort of stop learning. And, and I was fortunate to, you know, I got to start this nonprofit with like a core group of friends in Boulder, Colorado, and, you know, the first year the nonprofit served uh, 60 or 70 people with free programs. And then we grew into Colorado Springs working with veterans. We grew into Denver. And every time we went into a new community and eventually into new states, and then eventually into 10 states and 12 cities, um, we kept helping more and more people. And 
and I, I started to feel this pressure to be sort of perfect or have my life figured out. <laughs> and, uh, and what I realized at 14 years sober, I actually went and did a trauma workshop at the Meadows. It's called Survivor's Week. And it helped me look at that early childhood trauma. And I realized that recovery is actually a journey. It's not a destination, right? We continue to learn on the path. And, and uh, what I actually got to do at that workshop was let go of a lot of that early childhood trauma, which allowed me to believe that I was deserving and worthy of love. And I think for a lot of us in recovery, a lot of us in general, not just people in recovery, struggle with, with finding our emotional well-being inside us. We always look for it outside like how much money do we make what do we look like um and for people who have substance use disorder i think we're trying to numb out that feeling both drinking and drugging and so you know finding recovery was great finding these mountaintops and finish lines and starting a nonprofit was great but the greatest gift in in the past 21 years was was that workshop that helped me be able to love myself which is the, the real way to be able to love other people is to find that self-love. Sure. So I just want to pause and um, congratulate you on 21 years of sobriety recovery. It's not an easy task. Um, whenever people think it is, my encouragement to them, if, especially if they're struggling with substance use disorder, to put a couple days together because it's, it's not that easy, right? And so to do it and um, to be, from what I gather, I didn't, I didn't ask Scott these questions beforehand, so I might be making assumptions. Um, he appears to be a man. And um, oftentimes I think in our society, it's really easy, and I'm speaking specifically in gendered language, friends, that... Um, you know, a lot of times there's an assumption that women are easy, like it's easier for women to identify their emotions and to share those emotions, whereas men, you know, that's not what's expected. And so to be in tune with oneself and be able to kind of go deep, um, not only for self, but for greater good, because I feel like when we all heal in certain ways, the community heals, right? So if I'm a more sane human, a more emotionally balanced person, my community benefits from that um, and vice versa. So we all are very connected, even when we don't remember that. And I wish that we would. So that's pretty huge um, to be able to say that, uh, you know, a workshop that provided some emotional healing for you was kind of like a pivotal turning point um, in your recovery. I mean, in 21 years of recovery, that was the highlight compared to crossing some finish lines or summiting some mountains, which is pretty cool. So um, how has Phoenix changed you? Well, you know, it's, um, it's, it's interesting because I think prior to doing that, that trauma work, I was, I was really in a place trying to rescue people. And, and, and by rescuing them, I was trying to rescue myself. And, and what, what happened for me is, you know, one, one time I have a friend who's has some wisdom in life and he shared with me, he said, 
you know, the, the, if people are drowning in a well, you don't just jump into the well to save them. You, you pull up one person, go home and rest and get the strength for the next day to pull up the next person. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that was a pivotal moment for me in, in sort of recognizing that we nest, we can't always help everyone that comes through the door at Phoenix, but um, when we're with those people, we can try to make their life a little bit better and give them that moment of perspective that their life can be different. And then, and then we have to sometimes serve, you know, the 50. So, you know, so we can't always help the one if we're showing up for the others that are there. And that's a hard thing to kind of come to a realization around when we obviously don't want to lose anybody to this disease. Um, but it's not always realistic that you can help everybody. So, you know, as Phoenix has grown nationally, I think how it's changed me is just, just help me try to show up and do my best and be of service where I can be. Um, but by taking care of myself, I can have more emotional strength to be there for other people. So self-care is really critical. Sure. So speaking of that, and then I'll go back to something else that we kind of talked, touched on on the pre-call. How do you self-care? Um, I self-care by going to Phoenix myself. So I, I, I like to get in the gym and throw some weights around and, and um, I like Olympic weightlifting and CrossFit and, uh, my my real love is probably cycling and mountain biking, nice. but I don't don't get to do it quite as much. But I just love the almost meditative state of being on the trail or out on the road. Um, I probably my favorite thing to do, which I'm not that good at, is surfing. <laughs> so I'm trying to. I'm a fledgling surfer, <laughs> so I'm like six three two eighty. So I need a giant <laughs> surfboard, but um, but. It, it's it's really not so much the activities; it's the people that I get to share those with. Sure. That that that's my sounding board for life, and and navigating you know things that come up and talking through that with folks um, that are close to me um, is how I do my self care. Awesome, um, very cool. So, are y'all in Utah yet? We are working on Utah. We're not there yet, but. Okay. Um, we do a trip every year to the Moab, Utah, okay. and that's one of our kind of, kind of um, focal points of our year. We take almost 200 people in recovery to wow. the desert, camp on the Colorado River, climb, hike, mountain bike, and it's all of our programs are free to anyone who's 48 hours clean and sober. That's so awesome. inevitably somebody gets you know, snatched up from a 12 step meeting and we have to call a probation officer to get approval, but we take, take folks down there and it's just, it's just amazing to see that kind of fellowship and the sure. frame of frame what's possible in recovery in such a special place. Awesome. Yeah. Because I need to talk to one of my best friends um, because I don't think y'all are in Vegas yet either. Not right? yet. That's, Not yet. It's all, also okay. on the list. That's right. Scott and I are talking about this list. So <laughs> our mouth to the divine's ears, right? Um, yeah, one of my best friends, Christine, is big into CrossFit and um, could be helpful there too. So, um, okay. Wanted you know, to, yeah, go oh, ahead. Man, man, just one thing worth mentioning there sure. is that if, 
if anybody want to get wants to get Phoenix to their community, they yeah. can go to the phoenix.org and fill out the initiate page. And that kind of starts the process. It's a slow process because we're nonprofit and we don't have limitless funding, but we, we try to get back to people as quickly as we can and try to nurture Phoenix, you know, in new communities. Awesome. Uh, so. Yeah, no, that's good to know. So y'all hear that you can find all this information on the phoenix.org. So bringing Phoenix to your community, giving them money so that they can <laughs> go to your community, all important because none of this is dreams are great, but we got to have the green to make them happen. <laughs> um, okay. So last topic, um, cause we could probably talk for a really long time. Um, stigma. So we had kind of touched on a little stigma, um, at the, during our not recorded or unrecorded, um, pre-call, mm -hmm. a lot of gems happened there. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's talk about stigma, Scott. Yeah. You know, I think, I think there's, there's sort of stigma on both sides of this issue. You know, we have sure. in the recovery community, we have, we have some stigma about being open about our own recovery. And I think, I think that the challenge there is that um, people who are currently suffering don't often see an image of how beautiful recovery can be because sure. we're not sh sharing that. That's right. And the other side of that is that, you know, in, at Phoenix, a lot of times we're wearing Phoenix shirts that say rise, recover, live on them. And on the back, they say stronger than stigma. And, you know, the idea is we're trying to put it out there in the world that, that hey, I'm in recovery. I'm proud of who I am today in recovery. Um, and I'm here for you if you need help. And we're trying to get more people plugged in, help people realize that that my neighbor and my friends and my coworkers and all these folks are going to know people struggling and that there's a place you can go for help. Um, you know, and we also have a shirt that even just says sober across the front and by wearing that, it's sort of making this statement that, that I'm in recovery and, and I'm approachable and you can talk to me about this. And then, you know, we always, talk about this but Jackie who works for Phoenix shares that if, if you have cancer you know maybe a neighbor is going to make casseroles and help take your take your kids to soccer practice and support your your house and your home and your your family in some way but addiction is different you know yeah. we often go inward and silent and we don't talk to people about it so then the person next to us might be struggling with the same thing and not realize that there's a path to hope that's so right. I think it's important for us to, those of us that want to wear that sober shirt to wear it. Sure. And to your point, um, even if people are open or it's very apparent that there's a problem, there's oftentimes so much judgment that clouds any help that would be forthcoming, right? And so most people with the exception of and this really stinks, but like lung cancer where someone might ask like, well, did they smoke? And it's like, at this point, it doesn't matter <laughs> if they mm -hmm. smoked, if they have lung cancer, right? But there's oftentimes um, misdirected frustration and anger just because people who have untreated um, substance use disorder or undiagnosed um, 
they are doing so much damage to their community. And right, like, I understand where the frustration is. I understand where people are upset. And I understand that there are laws in place for a reason. And at the same time, a lot of people are actually truly really ill. And so even if it's apparent, you know, there's not the goodwill that often comes when people have other things like autoimmune concerns, like disorders or cancer, mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, and so I, I've had two people that kind of touched on that on the podcast. Um, Greg Williams, he's the director of the anonymous people. And he talks about that in the film of, you know, people don't know that recovery works because people in recovery are often in anonymous communities and, Mm -hmm. They look just like the next person. They don't look like the person that's in a trench coat under the bridge with, you know, brown paper bag. And Faye Zenoff, who is the executive director of Open Recovery in San Francisco. And she is a proponent. Um, she's been on um, maybe four or five episodes before this one aired. Um, she's a proponent of people being open in recovery. Um, of course, this is, you know, we're just having a discussion. No one is mandating or dictating what you do personally if that is not where you are and that's not where you land on this. Um, we have respect for multiple pathways and however you choose to live your life, that is totally fine. And it's definitely something that we can talk about, right? Mm -hmm. so, and I think, yeah, I think the 12-step community has created a really beautiful place for people who, who want to go to an anonymous space right. and, and feel safe. And it's a good point of entry if you're early, uh, you know, con con contemplating about stepping into recovery. That's right. Um, so I you don't say that everybody has to be sort of the, the vocal champion yeah. of, of anti-stigma, but, you know, I think protecting those anonymous places is important. But I also think those of us that, that feel the strength and fortitude to, to be open about our own stories allow space for others to follow us. That's true. So true. So I was going to ask you one more thing. Yes. Is there anything else before we close that you feel is necessary for listeners to hear from you? Um, I just think that, you know, taking time to be of service to others, you know, is, is so important, whether it's about helping people get into recovery, helping support someone else in recovery, um, helping in your community, you know, to sort of, I think a lot of things our country is, is facing right now could, could be addressed if we just took time to be of service to the people around us and, to come out of ourselves a little bit and realize that we all have a struggle. Um, you know, even that early childhood trauma stuff that we all have something in our story that we've struggled through. And if we can be compassionate and empathetic and loving to each other, I think is the, is the way through. And um, so even if Phoenix isn't in your community, you can get a group together to go for a ride or a hike or support people you know, the, in your recovery community and empowering them to try new things and start to believe in themselves. Um, sometimes the group believing in us helps us believe in ourselves. So and the only other thing I'll add is that if you want to come to Moab with us, you should come on down. Awesome. So I will link that friends in the show notes. Um, 
I'll also add Phoenix to my list of resources that I have. Um, so that if you need help, um, if you're struggling, people care about you, even though they don't know you. Um, mm -hmm. And so know that you are not alone, that you don't have to continue to suffer in silence. Um, there are resources all across this country. Um, I looked on my stats and I have listeners in New Zealand and <laughs> some other places overseas. There are resources that, you know, they're there too. So you don't have to, you don't have to do this alone. All right. Well, thank you, Scott. I totally appreciate you taking the time to chat with me about all of this good stuff. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It was great. All right, so I have a story, friends, from Humans of New York. And it says, um, it appears to be a young man. Soon after my father passed away, my mother got addicted to gambling. We began falling behind in the rent. I realized what was happening when I found a casino Filipino membership card in her wallet. I tried confronting her, but she got furious. She told me I had no right to tell her what to do. She began to disappear for days. At a time, there was no money for my thesis project at school. I'd borrow food from our relatives just to feed my younger siblings. And a few months ago, our landlord finally kicked us out and we moved into a slum. It was so noisy and dirty, but I did my best to ignore it and, and focus on my schoolwork. We live in an evacuation center now because the slum burned down. My friends at school have been helping me with clothes and food, and during it all, I've kept up my grades. I'm graduating on April 3rd with a degree in secondary education. I'm going to become a teacher. I think I've already learned a special skill that teachers have to keep their personal problems out of the classroom. And this was a story in Manila, Philippines. So addiction is everywhere. Um, and again, recovery is everywhere as well. So that is the highlight of that. Um, so friends, thank you so much for listening to this podcast, for um, supporting. If you want to support, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the type A hippie. And I appreciate hearing from you all. And I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I'm in that place in me, there's only one of us. Have a gratitude-filled rest of your day. My name is Chidima, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, Cheekass Episode 85. Until next time, namaste.